Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to another episode of AI Named This Show. We're once again your human hosts. I'm Tasia Custodi. And I'm Tristan Jutra. So this is the show where we decode all the jargon around AI and keep you up to date in the fast-moving world of artificial intelligence. In today's episode, Tristan and I discuss Google being all in on AI before mulling over the role of AI in surveillance. Welcome to episode 007 of AI Named This Show. And speaking of surveillance, in addition to the US, Canada, and the UK, believe it or not, we have listeners in Australia and New Zealand the other two members of the intelligence alliance known as Five Eyes. Not to be confused with Five Guys, Burgers, and Fries, which is a personal (laughs) favorite. The Five Eyes is an intelligence alliance consisting of the aforementioned five countries, which are parties to a treaty for joint cooperation in signals intelligence, or SIGINT. Its origins can be traced to informal secret meetings during World War II between British and American codebreakers, which started before the U.S. formally entered the war, followed by the Allies' 1941 Atlantic Charter that established their vision of the post-war world. Super chill. So yeah, hi to everyone in New Zealand and Australia. (laughs) I can't believe we have listeners there. It's still like, is anybody listening? It's so wild, Tristan. We're doing it. It's happening. (laughs) As long as they're part of the Signals Intelligence Alliance, that's all that counts. We know what's important. All right, TJ, why don't you kick us off with some important follow-up from the past few weeks? So we talked last week about how the uh, chat GPT from OpenAI is building in its multimodality, being able to upload photos and talk to chat GPT about photos and have it you know, analyze them and answer questions about them. Also, you can access Dolly 3, also by OpenAI, from within ChatGPT now. But not to be outdone, OpenAI's partner, Microsoft, is is also rolling in the Dolly 3 image generator into Bing Chat. And Bing Image Generator has been around for a while. It's been reasonably good, not maybe as quite as good as MidJourney, but what they're doing now by integrating the ChatGPT language model with the Dolly image generator is you're able to present either ChatGPT or uh, being image generator with more natural language sort of queries to get the sort of results that you're looking for. Now, there are still some restrictions. You can't generate um, images of public figures, although what 
qualifies as a public figure really depends because some you can and some you can't. So they're really trying to avoid people making deep fakes. Uh, similarly, they're trying to avoid the creation of NSFW or not safe for work imagery because they don't really want that associated with their brand so much. So if you want to make an image of a banana bed, well, all you got to do is ask, uh, ask Bing Image uh, Creator to uh, make you a, a banana bed. Uh, why not? And you can even do it from within Bing Chat now. Well, you're in luck, except you can't put Tom Hanks on the banana bed. <laughs> I was going to say Tom Selleck, but <laughs> we'll get I to Tom mean, Hanks later, though. We'll get to Tom a little later yeah, on. We're just on a Toms. first name basis. All the Toms. All right. Well, I want to hit you with a little google bard news TJ. oh we're not we're not ready because there's more chat gpt news no yeah so we'll just pump the brakes on google because you'll get your you'll get your turn chat gpt can now search the web in real time and you may be asking yourself wait a second wasn't it able to do that back in the spring wasn't there like bing functionality in chat gpt back in the spring well, there was, but OpenAI turned it off because reasons, uh, the performance reasons, there was some maybe some privacy concerns and the like. So they took a few months and retooled things, but now you can access the web using ChatGPT now, which is great. So you don't have to go and use Bing Chat anymore if you don't want to. Uh, again, this is for ChatGPT Plus users. And it's not super duper fast, but if you like having access to your entire conversation history, your various chats, and then being able to go and access real-time web results, as opposed to its knowledge cutoff of September 2021, it can be pretty handy. And you you have to go into the settings and you know enable it, and then make sure that when you are initiating a chat that the Bing chat uh, option, or sorry, that the Bing search option is enabled, but then uh, you're good to go. So for Jet GPT Plus users, it's getting more and more useful all the time. Well, unless you're a cheapo like me, <laughs> refusing to pay for the service that I do think is amazing, but I still won't spend my money on it. We got we got to get that merch going. <laughs> I know, right? All right. Am I allowed to talk about Google Bard now? Yeah, please proceed. <laughs> and I shall. So there is a new memory feature in Google Bard. So I don't want you to get confused when you hear memory. I'm going to explain kind of what it means in a second. Good, because I confuse easily. Yes, I know. This is just purely for you. I'm just letting you know. Our listeners are much more educated, Tristan. <laughs> so happy you brought that up. <laughs> But so users now in Bard will be soon able to toggle a memory feature optional on or off. So you can opt in. You don't have to use it if you don't want to, if you're worried about data. Now, this is not Bard like spitting up your memories to you. When we think, when we use that word, like, oh, our memories, you know how we're kind of used to like Google Photos or Apple Photos popping up memories. It's not like that. You're essentially setting your preferences and letting Bard know what you like. And Bard is committing your preferences to memory, hence the memory toggle. <laughs> so as an example, if you tell Bard, I love Italian food, or if you tell Bard, I don't know, I love Taylor Swift, ahem, or whatever, the Montreal Canadiens, yay, I'm just going to throw in everything I love here just to annoy you. <laughs> or you might say something it's working. like, it's working, <laughs> might say something like, I have two pets, or maybe you have kids, or maybe you have, you know, want to be a little specific. I'm, I live in this city and I live alone because these things could be helpful in shaping some responses you might get. You could even tell Bard things like, 
I want you to give me shorter, maybe I want you to give me longer responses. So you can really kind of start tailoring your preferences now, finally. And once it commits these to memory, it's going to provide you with more relevant information when you prompt them. So like if I were to say I'm lactose intolerant, the next time I ask for a prompt maybe for a recipe, it's going to start pulling me information from like lactose intolerant, lactose free recipes based on my preference. So this is also going to work in tandem with Bard's new extensions that we talked a little bit about. I don't even know what episode now because everything's a blur. (laughs) What is time? And so like your Gmail, your maps, YouTube and more. So hence why it could be really cool if you give it certain information like, you know, whatever you're comfortable giving about your family because it could pull, say, tailored travel information for you based on if you're traveling with small kids, if you're traveling with just as a solo traveler and things like that. So it's kind of getting more interesting and Yes, you can change or delete your preferences in case, Tristan, you become a Swifty like me and you want to update Bard and say, I'm a Swifty now. (laughs) And just so you know. And then it'll delete my account as it should. (laughs) And just so you know, I tried. I went in today. I really wanted to test this for you. I don't have access to it yet. (laughs) Wah, wah. Hey, don't feel bad because we can't even access it in Canada at all so this is this is check your privilege (laughs) i'm so sorry to uh everybody else (laughs) i know i'm i'm it's these things as we know are slow rollouts and a lot of stuff we're seeing with google in terms of their whole kind of ai push and i use that term lightly because they've been i think on the forefront of so much ai technology for many years in the background it's just we haven't been talking about it publicly but I feel like everything is still so experimental for them and it's still in these rollout phases. So we'll see. I will keep you posted and let you know the second I have access to it. You know my motto. Take my data. You already have it. (laughs) Well, for those who aren't in the Google Bard camp, and it's interesting that these camps are starting to emerge, the Chatty G camp, ChatGPT, or the Google Bard camp, or, you know, the Anthropic Claude camp. Everyone's got their favorites. This feature, as much as Google may may be on the forefront of AI for a while, this similar feature has been in ChatGPT for a number of months now, Mm -hmm. just wanted to let you know, known as custom instructions. So for those ChatGPT users out there, and again, uh, I don't know if this is for GPT Plus users uh, only or not, but... It has a query that says, what would you like ChatGPT to know about you to provide better responses? Some of the thought starters it provides are, where are you based? Where do, what do you do for work? What are your hobbies and interests? What subjects can you talk about for hours? There's also um, instructions about how you can give it about how you would like it to respond. So it seems like, just like we have with iOS and Android, we've got the, the features race you know they they basically one does something cool and then the other one catches up and it goes beyond a little bit and just back and forth thank goodness for competition because it's keeping them all on our toes as we (laughs) hurl toward our ai (laughs) armageddon i was just gonna say (laughs) well i mean you mentioned android and ios and google recently had their made by google event and they announced assistant with bard for Android and iOS. So yes, that's the full name, 
assistant with Bard. So classic it's Google branding. Classic Google. But I think I understand where they're at. It's experimental. So maybe they'll change that. But as of right now, I think I see where they're going is you might be familiar with the Google assistant. So they're just saying assistant is fancier now because it's with Bard. <laughs> That's my assumption of why they named it, how they named it. But I don't I don't work there. I only dream that I do. So you know how we were talking about how everyone's going to have their own AI personal assistant in the next five years. <laughs> like we were just talking Our about sooner. this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is essentially what they announced at Made by Google this week was their AI assistant with Bard for Android and iOS, where they're saying it's combining Bard's generative and reasoning capabilities with assistant's personalized help. So this includes Bard extensions that can access your Gmail, Google Drive, and Docs. So this is like a multimodal conversational overlay that'll be on your screen. It floats above your screen and it accepts text, voice, and image input. So one of the examples Google showed was it responding to the prompt, catch me up on important emails I've missed this week. And then the person prompting was given each like message had a bullet point just to really give them a quick recap with Google then linking to that original email at the bottom, which so if they wanted more information, they could click right through, which is super helpful. They also showed an example of pulling up an address for an event and you could see it in Google Maps, but it can also help take actions for you. So say you wanted to share an image of your dog on social media, you could just float that little assistant with Bard overlay on top of your photo and then ask it to write a social post for you. And then it'll use that image as a visual cue, understand the context of it and produce a social post for you. So now, as I said, assistant with Bard is still in the experimental phase. So they're saying it's going to roll out to early Android and iOS testers for feedback over the next few months. So just like we've seen with a lot of other BARD um, iterations, whether it was access to BARD in general, we've seen this with Google Workspace AI access tools. It's been like a slow roll with testers. They're really moving, taking the safer, slower approach. I use safer, you know, in quotation marks, but Google's really been more of the let's go at a slow roll here. Let's get a lot of feedback. Let's test this properly. And then we'll deliver to the masses. This is one of the things is that this could potentially be very powerful because of that integration with all the other Google services that you're maybe using, such as Maps and Gmail and all that good stuff. Correct. And I believe this is going to have, I don't want to say more or better use. I just want to say it may work a little smoother on Android because of already being in that ecosystem. However, there is an iOS version coming. So, you know, I'm going to have to test both and see if I'm getting better responses or if it's just plain working better on Android versus iOS. So Google pick me. (laughs) Hello, are you listening? And how many people really use Google Assistant on their iPhone? or even Alexa on their iPhone. There's an Alexa app on your iPhone and you can get in there, but because it's not kind of baked in at that system level and it's not listening to you all the time in the, in the same sort of way, it's just, it's not as elegant. So the first party hardware and software, software integration 
really is key with things like this. And that's, you know, Samsung had their own Bixby thing and whatever they're going to do with the next generation of that for their own AI efforts. You know, or there's always, of course, the Google Assistant to be used on uh, Android phones like Samsung's. But the iOS experience is probably not going to be as great as it was if Apple were to eventually offer this kind of thing. Of course, Siri, they're concerned about privacy. Yeah, please. Right? Siri, <laughs> Siri needs a, tr- a brain transplant <laughs> <laughs> soon. But that will be very powerful in its own way. Just like we're, we've been we've been talking about with Microsoft and the all its Copilot products for you know Microsoft 365. It's the access to all the data, whether it's your corporate data or in this case your personal data. But the privacy part is always key, and you know, making sure you're reading those terms of service, or at least getting the AI to summarize terms of service for you. Because, and that's one of the reasons why people think that Apple is going slowly is because they want to do as much on device as possible and not have it go to the cloud, even though we do have some data in iCloud, but just for safety and security and privacy and all those kinds of things. And even Google has been talking about doing more on device processing as well, uh, including on their new Pixel phones that they might have introduced. Oh my God, I'm so excited. I can't even handle this. So (laughs) it wasn't just this new assistant with Bard they announced at the Made by Google event. I need to tell you about all the AI tricks that Pixel 8 Pro is going to have up its sleeve. And I'm going to pray right now to the Google gods. They tend to like bring these down to the other some other iterations after initial launch so i'm like please come to the other devices too but we'll see how the chips can do to handle these because wait till you get a load of what is happening right now so i'm really only going to focus on like pixel 8 pro right now 8 has some of these as well but google didn't pull any punches i mean i should have I should go back and watch it and see how many times they use the word AI or generative AI because I know like a lot of other companies have been kind of, you know, staying away from that and they really leaned in. I think more because that's just kind of become like the lay term that we all understand. You know what I mean? Like if you say AI, you're like, oh, I know cool tricks are happening in the background, you know, and like that's just kind of what we've all come to know. So they really leaned into that. And Apple, by comparison, did not utter the word AI once in their iPhone event. They, they prefer to say things like, you know, machine learning and their own neural engine and stuff like that, but they're not playing the AI game because in their minds, they don't really have any competitors. They're doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. But, but like you said, Google's just leaning hard because AI is on everyone's mind. I mean, some people even start a podcast about it. I don't know who would ever do such yeah. a ridiculous thing. I mean, how dare Especially you? Especially if they don't have any merch yet. Mention it on our podcast. AI <laughs> named this show. Uh, machine learning named the show doesn't roll off the tongue quite so well. <laughs> or 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 Google Assistant with Bard named this show. <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen. When we get merch, when we get a Patreon up, we need to p- to put out the list of all of the options that we were going to name this show. <laughs> it's so asinine. Google leaned into AI, but we cannot talk about their AI without mentioning what's powering all of these amazing AI features. And that's Google's third generation custom chipset, Tensor G3. So I'm going to give you a quick rundown of some of the, what I'm just going to call software updates that are found basically in Google Photos right now with this powerful chip first. And this is next level computational photography, and it is a feature called Best Take. So what's what's happening here with Best Take is it combines multiple group photos to create a version where 
everyone is looking their best and looking to the camera. So, you know, when you take a group shot and someone's looking away or I'm inevitably look terrible, but the other people look good and then they post it to Instagram because they're like, well, I looked really good. And it's like, dude, I look awful in that. Couldn't have used a better shot. Now it won't matter anymore. So it's going to do this for you automatically. If you don't like what it gives you, you can actually choose from various expressions for each individual in the photo manually and change their expression. This is like... Or open their eyes because a lot of people have their eyes closed. So choose another shot. Yeah. If you blink while I'm looking to camera, now I just pick another expression of you and it bing instantly. It's like a next level face swap, but like a good one, not like a weird where you're like swapping faces with another person but like it's with yourself we call it it google assistant with frankenstein yeah exactly that's it rolls off the tongue (laughs) but it really makes you look like a pro editor like everything they were showing it didn't look like a janky like say photoshop job with your neck is off kilter and you could tell like that the head is resized and it's in a weird angle no 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 i mean it's literally taking all the individual pixels of the all of the multiple shots it's taken from the group shot and stitch them together, I'm, I'm losing it. I am blown away, but that is not all because blowing my mind once wouldn't be good enough. Are you saying, wait, there's more? But wait, there's more. I'm going to say it a few times. Google also announced Magic Editor. So I don't know if you remember Magic Eraser, which absolutely loved. I think it's only gotten better and better each software update. Well, Magic Editor is next level. You can resize and reposition a subject in a photo and the background will be automatically filled in to match as closely as possible to what was there. So it's using generative AI to recreate the background for you. Plus, it will also suggest contextual changes for you based on the lighting and the background and you'll even get to choose from multiple results of an edit that it gives you and this isn't just for the background by the way so say you snapped a photo and something in the photo like a subject or a image that you want in the photo is a little bit cut off or say it's just not framed right and you want to move that subject over once you move it it's going to do its best to then recreate the rest of that item that was cut off i i'm still blown away like we first saw this teased i think it was back in may at google io they just like teased a little snippet of this i have been chomping at the bit to try this i cannot handle it like this is this is the stuff tristan it just gets me so excited but what is even real anymore i know so best take and magic editor will be available mid-october with the release of the pixel 8 line but before we move on I was racking my brain. I could have sworn that there was a feature very much like Best Take that came out a few years ago from another software vendor. Maybe it was Samsung. Maybe it was some custom Samsung software that did this. It kind of came and went because at the time, maybe it wasn't super great. I know it wasn't on the on the iPhone, but it was a similar idea where you would take a number of shots in a row. It would you know, do the burst mode or whatever. And then it would let you combine as appropriate. So not to steal any thunder from Google here, but I think it's been done before, but I just can't find who did it and what it's called. So if anyone out there, if you at home 
or in your car are listening to this and you remember, maybe you've got the, a device from a few yeah. years ago that had this feature. But well, And does it exist? Yeah. Like, does it still exist? Is, is, is this did, a thing that the, has already existed? Has it been totally memory hold? <laughs> Let us like, know at feedback at AI named this show or, you know, find us on X or whatever you want to call it and, and let us know because it's making me crazy. Please, Tasia, go on. So I mentioned my much-loved magic eraser just briefly. This is actually getting another update as well. So you're now going to be able to remove bigger objects, which it doesn't sound like there's a lot happening when you just say, oh, cool, what an update. But I see where it came just in the last two years and each update, it just gets better with kind of re-rendering that background for you. There's not as much noise. There's not as much discoloration. There's not as much shadowing where things were. So now to be able to move a bigger object, I mean, it's it's this is the kind of progress I love to just see these tools get better and better as we go. But that is not all. We also need to talk about Audio Magic Eraser. So this was just announced and this is the next iteration, if you will, of a Magic Eraser feature, but for audio. So it's using advanced machine learning models to identify sounds, say like people talking in the background or music or wind and the like. And then it separates each sound into different layers for you. And it'll say it sounds like people talking in the background and it'll categorize that. So like, it's not just like giving you blank layers and then you're tapping on the layers to figure it's out describing them for you. what it is. It exactly, it's categorizing them for you. And then you can just pick and choose which parts you want stripped out. So if to you want to eliminate in... a co-host, for example, boom, easy peasy. <laughs> How no multi-track recording you. required. How dare you? But I, I, my mind, like, when I saw that, it, it is literally any editor, anyone that's ever edited understands layers when you're editing and understands. I mean, you need to picture it exactly like that. It strips out the audio into editable layers for you. I mean, I'm freaking out. I need this. I need this in my life, Tristan. But Wait. There's still more. <laughs> what? As this is uh, episode seven and you and I have been joking privately about a 007 episode, we couldn't really not mention this, which is, you know, the CSI thing, the crime show trope where it's like, zoom, enhance. And every time they zoom in onto camera surveillance footage, it somehow enhances to this perfectly clear image. And then, aha, the criminal is caught. Oh, oh we caught off a reflection off of a wine glass <laughs> bouncing off of a mirror. This is like this is like Blade Runner 1982 stuff. Right. Well, this quite literally made the Zoom Enhance meme a reality uh, at this Made by Google event. So rather than a photo getting more pixelated as you zoom in, Zoom Enhance will use generative AI to take corrective steps to improve the photo quality and the gaps, the tiny little minuscule gaps that happen between pixels when you crop and like pinch to zoom an image. So it's intelligently sharpening and enhancing the details of your image for you. And this feature is going to be what they're calling a feature drop later on with Pixel 8 Pro. So we don't actually have a date for it yet, but... It's happening, Tristan. It's all happening. <laughs> Zoom. Oh, enhance. David, David Crusoe is vindicated. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> exactly. It's finally, after all this time, is happening. So that's kind of my long-winded, not-so-short story short of my favorite 
AI features of what they've just announced. I am, I am thrilled and I am like, please, please, I need to get my hands on an 8 Pro. Please, Google Gods. Just as a point, being the old in this um, podcasting duo, a little bit of historical perspective on that particular feature. So the Zoom Enhance thing, although it's a bit of a joke and a meme, the AI uh, enabled filling in the details for uh, enlarging maybe low res resolution photos has actually been around for quite a while. There was a tool that I had on the Mac in the late 90s that I was messing around with. It wasn't using professionally or anything, but I had a Sony Mavica floppy disk camera. It could well, it's shot in VGA, basically 640 by 480. Not a lot of pixels there. That was like 0.3 megapixels. And you can fit about 10 photos on a floppy disk. So you have to carry around like a stack of floppies with you at the time. But it had amazing glass, Carl Zeiss lens, got some wonderful photos out of it. And I have up on the screen now for those watching a photo of our little tiny tabby cat Stella at the time that I was able to zoom and enhance on in just the way that we're talking about. And it did a remarkably good job of filling in the details without introducing any sorts of weird artifacts. So that's, I mean, that is late nineties technology and things are only getting better and better and more accessible and on the supercomputer in your pocket, which is ever so cool. And just imagine our ability with all these tools that you've been talking about, Tasia, for us to create, uh, Deep fakes, oh, misinformation, no. all sorts of good stuff you like that. You can no longer just see to believe it. <laughs> da, da, da. And as such, um, there's been another round of deep fakes. Whenever celebrities are involved, of course, you know, people stand up and take notice. So last week, Tom Hanks posted a warning on Instagram about an unauthorized AI-generated version of himself being used to sell a dental plan, of all things. Um, apparently, CBS anchor Gail King, friend of Oprah, uh, descri described a similar scheme using her likeness to sell a weight loss product. Even Mr. Beast, like the world's beloved number one YouTuber, posted on going to call it Xtasia, just mm -hmm. about a similar scam that features a modified video of him with manipulated speech and lip movements promoting a fraudulent iPhone 15 giveaway. He wrote, lots of people are getting this deepfake scam of me. Are social media platforms ready to handle the rise of AI deepfakes? This is a serious problem. And it is wild. It is these things are getting so realistic now. So SAG-AFTRA, which is the union representing Hollywood actors, has expressed worries that AI could be used to create digital replicas of actors without proper compensation or approval. So, of course, that unions are going to union. And recently, Robin Williams' daughter, Zelda Williams, made the news when she complained about people cloning her late father's voice without permission. So we're seeing people do this recreationally. Normally, when it's a commercial uh, type of uh, deal, there are rights negotiated. For example, there was some TV commercial a number of years ago. We may have talked about it before. It was Audrey Hepburn. I'm not sure if it was Cartier or, or something like that. And it's this whole video with Audrey Hepburn. It's like, where, where did they get that? It was all deep faked. But companies like uh, Google and OpenAI have plans to watermark AI-generated content and add metadata to track provenance. But historically, those watermarks have been easily defeated, and open-source AI tools do not, that uh, don't add watermarks are available. So that's the thing. E even with all the safety measures that 
some of the big players are introducing. We even talked about the the features and the guardrails in uh, the Bing image generator there. There are all sorts of other tools from independent developers that uh, don't follow by those same rules. And so it's just a question of how resourceful you are and how evil you are, I suppose. Don't just believe what you see now. Like we're moving into the age of if if it has not come from someone you know and trust or like a reputable source, and honestly, even if it has, do a little Google search. <laughs> just see what's going on because uh, this is, we're super fresh into all of this being really publicly available. So you can only imagine how much better, or I guess worse, all this is going to get a year from now. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. So we're just going to shift gears into how... All of this data and tools, these sur surveillance tools and deep fakery and whatnot, how it all ties into the world of spycraft, surveillance, you know, geopolitics and the, the like. And surveillance is a thing that has been going on since time immemorial ever, <laughs> whether it was manual surveillance by people actually observing others uh, in the in the spy world. You could watch the movie from the 1970s starring Gene Hackman called The Conversation, which was a lot about that real world surveillance. And then you know, he was using you know, listening devices. You know, we've got radio, video cameras. The, the UK for the last 10, 15 years has deployed thousands and thousands of closed circuit TV cameras, CCTVs. And there are some legitimate uh, rights discussions to be had about that, such as, you know, it's apparently when you're in a public space, there is actually no right to privacy in, in most jurisdictions. But the case being made for a lot of these technologies is the interest of security. And going back to you know, fight terrorism or you know, any major crimes that are happening, we can roll the tape back or the hard drive back and, you know, see who was there at the scene. Once you start layering on AI capabilities to that and doing facial recognition, as we've seen in China and other places, the whole thing gets uh, a little bit more complicated. So there have been uh, 
all sorts of developments with AI and surveillance, including intelligence and analysis, proactive detection, and the superior image processing of potential threats. And of course, the benefits can include reducing human error and enhancing face, facial and object uh, recognition and interpreting the massive amounts of data that are being generated by all of these systems, whether it's you know the the the, the SIGINT the signals intelligence. Uh, we, we've heard, we've heard stories in the past of you know AT and T buildings on on the coast uh, intercepting and relaying all sorts of traffic to you know the NSA for example. But that takes a lot of computing horsepower to just dig through all of those phone calls or data transmissions and whatnot. So. AI, as we've discussed in the past, can be really good at pattern matching and finding certain types of signals. Now, that being said, errors can and do occur. Like we've talked about with facial recognition, there are certain uh, pe people in certain maybe minority groups that can more easily be misidentified based on the training data, right? So we've seen uh, people who's like, oh, you did this crime. It's like, no, actually that wasn't me. That was someone who kind of looked like me, but not really because your training data is not that great. So there are some issues there. Then it's also the issue of like domestic use versus international use. Like international is kind of fair game because everyone is spying on each other. But when it comes to spying on one's own citizens, even like passively, everyone remember a little something called, a little something called Eric Snowden who just unleashed a torrent of information about domestic surveillance programs in the, U the United States. And that caused a lot of debate, of course. And do we really want to live in a surveillance state? So back to the international side, again, which I think more people would agree is uh, you know, slightly more fair game, so to speak. Back in July, the head of MI6, which is one of the spy agencies in the UK, you know, the one that uh, James Bond works for. Um, the, he, his name is Richard Moore, and he was describing how British spies were already using their skills with AI and big data to disrupt a supply of weapons to Russia for use against Ukraine. Now, they didn't get into details uh, exactly how they were using said tools. They're classified. But he predicts that Western intelligence agency will increasingly have to focus on tracking the use of AI by hostile states in damaging, reckless, and unethical ways. So on one hand, it's like they're using AI. And on the other hand, we have to watch how our rivals, our geopolitical rivals, might be using AI as well. And he said that the MI6, together with its allies, intends to win the race to master the ethical and safe use of AI. Again... We, we, I think most of us agree that safe and ethical is a good thing. But if your rivals aren't as concerned about safety and ethics, are you handcuffing yourself? And that gets into the whole murky world of spycraft where you ha people are, do things that maybe ordinary people wouldn't necessarily want to do because it's kind of unsavory, but you kind of got to do it to keep your country safe. Um, that's where it gets a little complicated. Um, Moore also said that AI would not replace the need for human spies, but argued that the human factor will remain crucial in an era of rapidly evolving machine learning. And that's another theme that we've talked about before as well, is that AI is great, but AI and humans together is even more powerful. And the whole notion of not merely artificial intelligence, but augmented intelligence. And with that in mind, he also um, 
threw a little uh, comment out to any Russians who maybe wanted to help us spy on their homeland on behalf of the West uh, and said, uh, our doors are always open. So there, there's chill. that, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, just, just putting it out there, folks. Uh, not to be outdone, the uh, CIA is, is set to roll out its own version of chat GPT um, to try and comb the internet for useful clues and potential security threats. So again, we talked about pattern matching, you know, going through this data and finding anything that may be of use. So it'd be based on ChatGPT and will be used by all 18 U.S. intelligence agencies. All right, let's just pause for a minute. How many U.S. intelligence agencies can you name, Tasia? Uh... One or two. <laughs> I mean, we hear about those TLAs, the three-letter agencies. We got the CIA. Yeah, we've CIA, got the FBI. FBI. <laughs> those are the two. <laughs> and then maybe twenty years ago, thanks to the X Files, 25, 30 years ago, people were like, "Oh, the NSA is a thing, the National Security Agency." And then I guess after nine eleven, we had like Homeland Security was another agency. CBP, Custom Border Patrol. Okay, is that a there's thing? five. Yeah. Something. But and then does ATF like the uh, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms? Is that does that count? And then there's. And there's ICE, I guess that's another security agency, which is, but there, I mean, that's, that still leaves us like a, almost another 10. Like who knew that there were that many um, security and agencies and intelligence agencies in the U.S.? America. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> the uh, CIA aims to compete with China's advancing AI capabilities to handle the huge amount of data on the web. Now, that being said, experts are unsure of the potential downsides of AI, such as privacy violations and potential data breaches. Like, how are they storing the uh, information that they're collecting and the insights that they're gaining? And of course, uh, the CIA did not reveal uh, exactly how it would protect the information it gathers from the AI tool or, you know, which, which model it'll actually use. So yeah, let's keep our fingers crossed and everything is going to be okay. But soon, Tej, that they may be tapping into your own home video cameras how dare you <laughs> well it's true i mean cameras are everywhere like they're in our doorbells they're in our streets our glasses meta <laughs> or google whoever you want to say really knocked it out of the park first but you know there's an argument that we need greater automation like the ability to monitor video streams and generate insights more quickly while at the same time making streaming and storage more efficient and cost effective and that's really where ai can come into play you mentioned earlier that traditional ai models are typically cloud-based and you know that can cause some latency issues so i found this article in security magazine <laughs> bet you never thought i'd quote security magazine to you I'm a subscriber <laughs> but they say that Smart cameras need edge AI. So edge AI is where the AI processing is done directly like on device, so in the camera. And this offers obviously the ability to process and deliver video analytics and insights and alerts in real time, creates higher level of security. It can also reduce the cost of transferring and storing the video in the cloud. I feel like we've talked kind of a lot about all of the other stuff that goes on behind the scenes when it the, comes the, to all of this AI. The idea being making it more responsive, sort of like how both Google and Apple are moving more and more of their uh, the uh, their assistants uh, processing, whether it's Siri or Google Assistant, on device as the device hardware gets more and more powerful. So the same kind of idea is moving the compute to the edge. 
Exactly. So, you know, we've also talked about privacy. So with Edge AI, you're reducing network dependencies by keeping that data, our data, out of the cloud. So we kind of need to discuss the issue of on-device storage and that's important. But like we literally also just talked about Google Zoom Enhance and think of how that could be applied here again at a more granular device level. So when we're talking about improved processes and higher computing power, you'd also be able to apply AI for video enhancement, our Zoom Enhance, Tristan. So, you know, we could achieve some really high quality video. Think of not just the Zoom Enhance, but also low light situations, traffic situations. So when a camera has enough AI capacity built in, it can run advanced video analytics on top of all the other AI-powered video enhancement that's happening. So those two things kind of combined. One classic example might be, say, there's an Amber Alert, and this, a little bit of information might be known about a potential kidnapper and what their license plate number is. And if you've got all those cameras out there, th their resolution is only so good. But when you have <laughs> Zoom Enhance mm -hmm. going on it, perhaps there's a better ability to detect said license plate numbers, hopefully without getting too many false positives and shaking down the wrong people. Exactly. Well, potentially you can even run multiple AI processes in the same video stream, if you will. So you'd be able to identify smaller, more distant objects with higher accuracy. So that's an exact thing. Like with these traffic cameras, if, you know, we don't really think about it too much, but it's like, it's not just as simple as just snapping a picture of a license plate. First of all, that's very tiny information moving at a certain speed in different light conditions at different times of the day. So, you know, like this, it a, a lot of it comes down to the camera's vision processor and it needs to understand what it's seeing in order to then decide like what it's going to clean up and sharpen the parts that need to be sharpened in order to give you the relevant information. So there's maybe a lot they should just use Google Pixel uh, <laughs> Pro 8s and then they can get the best shot and from the multiple shots of the license plate and they can combine and put the right facial expression on that license plate. If there's any cities trying to save money on your traffic detection systems, just put some Pixel 8 Pros up there. <laughs> Zoom enhance. <laughs> That should be the title of this episode. Bringing it back to the overall message of all of this tech, all of these, all this compute at the edge, all of these devices, these cameras that are recording 24-7, all of the calls and data that are going around the world. I thought it would be um, just good to pull it back to the idea of surveillance and espionage in the era of artificial intelligence. Back, back in 2021, there was an interview with a technology and intelligence gathering expert named Amy Zegert. She's a senior fellow at Stanford University and at the Hoover Institution. Uh, she's written extensively about how AI and the torrents of new open source information are upending traditional spycraft and how artificial intelligence and open source data are transforming the traditional business of intelligence gathering and analysis. You know, we talk about open source. There are some, there are also websites that have existed for decades where you can go and see live webcam feeds, for example. And you got to know that the, all these security and intelligence agencies are taking advantage of those as well. Just like we've had uh, police services um, taking, 
tapping into Ring, you know, talking to Amazon, hey, we need footage from these Ring cameras, etc. So some are closed source and some require you know, things like warrants to access the information. Some is just like out there and live and some is proprietary to these agencies themselves, such as you know, the governments in the UK. So there's a few principles that she described back in 2021, saying uh, one was the five mores, saying that the five changes that new technologies are driving in the intelligence field. So this is intelligence like in the world of surveillance, more threats, more data, more speed, more decision makers, and more competition. So the threats, you know, these increasingly globalized world where, where there's t terrorism's a thing, armed conflicts are a thing, even though we thought we were beyond those, at least on a macro scale, but that's still going on. Uh, more data, the reams and reams of data that are being generated every single day. The more speed is required to actually analyze and process this data, um, and hence the horsepower, the edge compute, and the like. The more decision makers, those the stakeholders who has access to the data, and of course the competition. There are other state actors around the world who are, all have their own agendas and want to get an edge on who they consider to be their geopolitical rivals. Of course, there's also open source intelligence. So she describes the potential and challenges of using publicly available information and AI to surface key issues and complement clandestine sources, like traditional spycraft. There's the human intelligence. So it's still important to use human sources and analysts, but need, there's a need to free them from the mundane tasks by using AI algorithms. So that's the thing is like analysts' jobs can be made a lot easier by using AI to sift through the reams and reams of, of data. So you may have seen in previous you know, crime thrillers trying to solve you know, cases and they'll be looking manually through printed out phone records, who made what call <laughs> to whom and all that kind of stuff. Like Those days are beyond us now with all the computing power at our disposal and the AI algorithms to help look for patterns and especially at the metadata. Then there's the whole notion of the intelligence culture, the obstacles in the U.S. intelligence community, such as risk aversion, institutional history, and incentives. And those are similar issues with, that people blame for the surprise of the 9-11 attacks, for example, that there was a certain st staticness and um, complacency in the security agencies kind of in the post-Cold War era. It's like not really cluing in to some of the threats and how those threats might actually manifest and some warnings that were actually just like outright ignored because they weren't deemed to be real threats. And then there's the whole notion of data deception, the dangers of disinformation and data poisoning. So it's not just deep fakes, but there could be other sites of disinformation and misinformation and the role of intelligence agencies as verifiers of last resort. We, we see disinformation and misinformation like on social media around election campaign times. There's lots of foreign adversaries who go and set up fake Facebook pages to get people riled up and to pit people against each other, divide them into little groups. Now with AI, you can spool up even more of these things and have content generated ever so more quickly. And... I'm, I actually fear for the next, the, the upcoming or the current election cycle that we're in in the United States coming up, you know, just over a year from now, next election, like we're going to have industrial scale AI generated misinformation and disinformation. So further to those points, um, which are, I think, worth 
us thinking about in, in the future for these intelligence agencies is also the notion of positioning it in the kind of geopolitical reality of today. We don't have quite so many en quote unquote enemies nowadays, but there are rivals, right? And there are other companies that have their own interests. So there was a recent article by Hemant Taneja and Farid Zakaria, whose name you might recognize, talking about um, the, the sort of the modern version of globalization. There's been to globalization from a trade perspective. Some people have kind of soured on it to a certain extent, you know, due to things like say the gutting of manufacturing and the like. But there's a new type of globalization that has um, that has emerged in a way, but it's almost becoming a multipolar or or at least bipolar world. And that's where the the rivals to the US are really trying to um, develop, such as you know the the BRICS uh, community of nations, which seems to be expanding. But at its macro level, we're looking at the US and China, who are creating two separate spheres for technology, especially in AI, and what the authors are calling a new digital cold war. So AI is you know, a transformative technology that can solve hard problems, but it also poses risks to democracy, privacy, and human values for all those reasons that we've been talking about. So what they posit is to win the digital cold war, the US and its allies need to collaborate across countries we're looking at you, Five Eyes and others, <laughs> sectors and stakeholders, and adopt a responsible innovation mindset. So, no pressure. Know, despite what despite what people like Mustafa Suleiman are saying, and more to what people like Mark Andreessen are saying, it's like we can't sit still, right? If we don't do these things, the others are going to do it anyway. So we need the edge, and the edge in the new digital cold war is the data gathering, the surveillance, the intelligence. And the identification of shenanigans. I think that's the Sounds technical so term. so official. <laughs> the identification of shenanigans. I think that's one of the U.S. intelligence agencies, actually, the Department for the Identification <laughs> of Shenanigans, known as DIS. <laughs> it sounds right to me. I mean, these are issues that aren't something we all really spend much time thinking about, but maybe we should. And that's what and we're here to do. In the middle of the night when we can't, and we won't be able to sleep anymore because exactly. our phones could be listening to us sleep and, and even snore. And what are they doing with that data? On the next episode. They're selling <laughs> it to AI the CPAP machine show. manufacturers. Oh, well, we did it, Tristan. Barely. Another, another long one. But thank you for tuning in to another episode of AI Named This Show. And believe it or not, I know we just seem so professional, but we are still a new show. So we would love your feedback. You can email feedback at AINamedThisShow.com. You can also find us anywhere you get your podcast. So be sure to give us a follow and share this episode out. And of course, please leave us a glowing five-star review over on Apple Podcasts. We would very much appreciate it. We're also on all the socials at AI Named This Show. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and the platform. I guess we've now officially decided to call X, even though it's still Twitter.com. <laughs> We're there too. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of AI Named This Show. And keep your AI shaken, not stirred. <laughs> yeah, I just came up with that. Double can you tell? Seven. <laughs> Weak sauce. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.